Welcome to episode number 165 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and I'm speaking today with Matt Preshern, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of HCL Technologies. HCL is a huge company, and Matt, how are you? And tell us briefly about HCL. Hello, Michael and everyone. Thank you so much for uh, having me back on CXO Talk. Um, just a brief uh, summary or introduction about HCL. We are, uh, when I joined HCL in September of 2014, we were roughly a $6 billion global IT services company with about 95,000 employees. Uh, today, we are just about a $7 billion IT services company with roughly 105,000 employees. Um, we uh, you know, our core services are in the infrastructure space. We're very proud to, in 2015, have crossed the $2 billion mark just in our infrastructure services line. We have a very strong heritage in engineering services, uh, roughly about a $1.2 billion business that's growing in, you know, 20-plus percentage range. Um, we also uh, are quite active in the application services space, uh, our largest Vertical in that area is financial services, uh, and we compete in other uh, uh, verticals just as well, such as manufacturing uh, and um, and and various other uh, uh, industries. Um, in addition to that, if you just look at our revenue mix, we um, we have about sixty percent of our revenue uh, in North America, with an employee base of about ten thousand people here in North America. About 35, almost 35 percent, 30 to 35 percent of our revenue comes from Europe, a significant growth market for us. And then we have a pretty strong foothold as well um, in, in Australia, in Singapore, in South America, in, in, in other parts uh, of the world. The only other thing I would mention about HCL, if, if you have not heard of us, uh, you know, we're, we grew in, in 2015 at 15 percent constant currency revenue growth, you know, off a base of $6 billion. I think it's a, a quite significant growth uh, trajectory. And we pride ourselves uh, that we have a employee-centric corporate culture. So in our view, the notion of employees first, customers second, our employees are the ones who, who interact with our customers on a day-in and day-out basis, and they're a core aspect of our growth, their core aspect of the core values that we hold near and dear, which are around trust, transparency, and flexibility. So you're a $7 billion company with 100,000 employees, and it's a, bit, it's a big company. I, I need to also say that Matt has had the, the flu, and so I'm particularly grateful that you're, that you're joining us here today. It's interesting that you talk about employees first, customers second. You talk about your culture. Recently, I've had several CEOs on CXO Talk who have given the same message. And maybe can you describe why do you, do, why do you put it that way, employees first, customers second? Because we hear in the media all the time, customers first, customers first. So, so, so why the focus on employees in this way? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, it, I'm actually quite... Uh, it's, it's very encouraging to hear that, that this notion uh, 
of a focus on employees seems to become more and more focus uh, across various industries. For us, the basic notion is, you know, we believe firmly that it's not only our salespeople who interact with our customers, but our own employees, our frontline employees are the ones who, who actually uh, drive day-to-day -day interactions. If we, and we do, you know, put our focus on empowering them, creating an environment where they can succeed, working uh, to uh, give them the tools and the processes so that they can take actions and then work on behalf of our customers. Uh, we feel that they are, in fact, our strongest brand advocates. And we call them the ideapreneurs. We have a, a, a range of, of programs that we run every year uh, that you know, go from online programs to uh, lead generation type of efforts with incentives, as well as personal interactions with our senior executives. And then, you know, very importantly, we, we really uh, believe that, that our corporate culture, as I stated before, trust, transparency, and flexibility is in fact what allows us to deliver ultimately, uh, you know, relationships with our customers that go above and beyond the contract. So it's a philosophy that HCL had started even prior to me joining. I can personally tell you uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, uh, element uh, and it's, it's, it's something that, you know, actually makes you very proud to be part of, of such a great company that's growing at the rate and pace that we are. What, so, so you're growing, you said, uh, did you say your revenues grew 15%? Was that it? We're about 13 and a half percent at constant currency. Correct. In, oh. in 2015. Okay. So it's almost, almost 15% and which is a very high number for a $7 billion organization. So can you make a linkage between this approach of, of employees first, customer second, and then you said, uh, the culture was transparency, trust, and uh, flexibility, transparency, transparency, trust, and trust, transparency, and flexibility. So can you connect, connect those dots for us, uh, the growth with that approach that you've just so, got? So what we can do is a couple of things. Um, one is uh, we would assert that, you know, our culture, in fact, is and has been since the beginning, right? We're one of, of only a handful of companies. We're the one five fifteen, a billion dollars in revenue, five billion dollars in a billion dollars in, in net income, five billion dollars in revenue, fifteen billion dollars in market cap since uh, since two thousand when we became public, right? We would assert that our uh, culture, which has been at the core as described is in fact allowing us to reinvent ourselves, to maintain a level of almost a startup culture within a large organization. And uh, it allows us, you know, so far to continue to focus on the things that, that we, uh, you know, that we're uh, describing. Um, the, the, with respect to a, a direct revenue linkage, what I can tell you is that we have uh, various uh, employee-focused programs, uh, one of them which we call Lead Gen, where we, in fact, uh, provide um, our frontline delivery uh, employees with an opportunity to not only identify key customer pain points and issues, 
but to bring them forward and uh, to then uh, help resolve them. And I can tell you just this past year, we, we generated or we tracked over $500 million in, in incremental revenue just by employees who are not sales employees, but delivery employees who are focusing in on that. Um, again, I also spend a lot of time with, uh, with our customers. And I can tell you, we just recently held two customer advisory councils and one in North America and New Orleans and one in, in Europe and Manchester uh, with each just about 20 of our top customers. And the one resounding uh, feedback that we receive from our customers is, look, uh, please do not lose what has brought you to this point. When you engage with us, you resolve issues at a rate and pace that almost nobody else in the industry does. You focus in on us and then, you know, we, one of our brand promises is our relationship beyond the contract, or as one customer stated, you know, when an issue arises, HCL never goes back and looks at the fine print in the contract. HCL shows up and focuses on the issues at hand and then resolves them so that, that, that you know, it's to the benefit of the customer and ultimately to, I think, the benefit of the overarching relationship. So yes, we, we're very proud of our culture and we believe it's a, a differentiating factor as we move forward into 2016 and beyond. The services industry is undergoing its own digital transformation. Maybe can you describe some of the some of the forces that are changing, that are driving change inside services, and how does that affect a company like HCL? You know, let me take this maybe before I'll I'll first say maybe a, a statement or two just about how you know some of the the overarching changes in in the IT landscape, which I think are pretty fascinating. So, you know, just about 50 years ago, the, the average lifespan of a Fortune 500 company was about 60 years. By 2010, that had shrunk down to 18 years. At the very same time, the number of $1 billion startups, if you can call it, uh, in the last decade had grown from 42 to north of 100. And at the very same time, there are some estimates that would say that by 2020, three quarters of the Fortune 500 companies did not exist as of today. And that was about a year or two ago. So when you look at that, so what are, what are kind of the, the trends or the changes that are happening that are driving that level of disruption in the marketplace? And I would suggest it's probably three things. One is technology is the great equalizer. So everybody has access to technology today. Number two, there's a significant change in customer expectations as customers become uh, increasingly familiar and empowered in the digital age. And then third, I think traditional brick and mortar companies are seeing an unparalleled level of competitive forces particularly from the call them, you know, born digital or native digital companies that are very nimble, very fast, and that are moving in, 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 in you know, and, and in fact, do not have to deal with underlying, uh, uh, you know, infrastructure challenges that they may have had. So what does this mean for the services industry? You know, when, 
talking to our customers, looking at some of the advisors that we work with, whether it's the ISGs of the world or not, we believe that in, in so there's a few things that are happening. The, the, the services industry in general, the, the contract sizes, the very large contracts are actually getting a little bit smaller. The duration of these contracts are also getting a little bit shorter. But interestingly enough, the actual number of sourcing and services contracts, both in the US and in, in Europe are increasing. And as we look into 2016, what our customers are saying, they're going to look to HCL and other service providers uh, to even source more uh, functional areas than ever before. But what they're specifically looking for is not only a, a cost equation, but a value play. And the themes that come up when you speak to CILs is, help me on my digitalization journey. Help me understand how smart things or IoT can be leveraged in my industry. Help me understand uh, how I can leverage or use automation to my benefit. Increase, or do you have any thoughts on robotics? So in other words, the, the appetite for CIOs and customers to engage with companies like HCL and to, and to look to us on their transformation story is incredible, but I think it behooves us and we are uh, in, in investing quite heavily in various areas to do so in, in the areas I just mentioned. So your customers are having greater expectations of you in terms of, in terms of what? Where, where, where do those expectations of you lie in terms of this, these transformational forces? I think I, think I, I, would, I would anchor it back in, in, in a couple of things you know, that we've seen, again, speaking with our customers and, and looking at the industry at large. Uh, we call it, you know, what are the changes in the enterprise space around the 21st century enterprise? And, and here are like four or five tenants. And again, we kind of validated this in one of our recent customer advisory councils. The, the, you know, one of the first tenants is we have clearly moved to an environment that is exceptionally, uh, call it customer-centric, experience-centric. And it speaks to that customers have a different uh, level of expectation just about at every time when they have a touch point with you as a company. Uh, 21st century enterprise also expects to be uh, agile and lean. It's very clearly increasingly uh, outcome focused. So particularly in our industry, it's no longer just about service level agreements, but specific outcomes. And then maybe most importantly, one of the areas that we see is there is a tremendous amount of ecosystem play that's increasingly building up. And this could be an ecosystem of your customers, your supply chain, your own ecosystem actually with your employees, other partners, and so 21st century enterprises are literally demanding from, and in fact, if they want to survive, these are kind of the tenants that they need to think about. One of the very interesting comments, you know, both, and I'll just summarize from these uh, advisory councils was, you know, and the underlying elements to do some of that is data and insight. There was a lot of discussion also about the importance of a company to emotionally connect with the millennials. Again, most of, of the workforce today is increasingly uh, motivated by experiences, 
not just you know uh, in in various levels and so what i would suggest is that if you're in the services industry but probably in other industries as well those are drivers that have to be addressed and if you are whether you're a manufacturing company or if you're an automotive company or if you're a financial services company or maybe in life sciences the notion of customer centricity agility and lean the notion of having an ecosystem that you need to tap into those are key elements and the underlying technology is what's going to allow a company be, to become a 21st century enterprise or at least certain processes or parts of it and those are kind of the drivers that we see and we've positioned ourselves as a company to a build on our traditional services but i've also invested quite heavily in some new capabilities but matt uh just to push back ever so slightly on you you're you're talking mm-hmm. about technology but the digital change the, the digital transformation change that's taking place it's not really about technology even though technology is a part of it so maybe can you can you broaden it to the uh that place it all in the business context. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would, I would suggest, and if I misspoke earlier, um, let me clarify here. Uh, we, we firmly believe that technology is the underpinning that will allow companies to become a 21st century enterprise, right? But the notion of, uh, you know, ensuring that your customers have a unique experience at every touch point and, that you can uh, basically integrate your entire ecosystem or that you take advantage of, of the data that's being generated from a whole range of uh, uh, you know, smart devices so that you can drive a higher level of interaction with your customers that you may be able to do uh, predictive uh, type of efforts. If you're in manufacturing, you may do predictive maintenance or you may do remote maintenance frankly speaking, and you use the data to drive specific analytics so that you can minimize the downtime of your equipment, right? Or if you're in transportation, you use, uh, you know, fleet management control and uh, fuel optimization uh, analytics to drive higher levels of efficiency, right? Those are the business elements. Or if you're in healthcare, right, you you deploy uh, technology to to uh, uh, create a, a new level of, of security in, 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 uh, in the disbursement of, of drugs, right, which is a huge issue. You, use, uh, you start to go into areas of, of smart, um, uh, you know, in the pharma industry, development of drugs. The key point being all of these are increasingly possible because technology is pretty much fundamentally available but are companies taking advantage of those technologies to drive the types of interactions with their respective customers in some of those respective uh, sectors? So that's what I would suggest. And in that context, a company like HCL and others, it behooves us to, to you know, help customers on that transformation as opposed to immediately going into a, a very deep technology discussion only. That's quite interesting because historically, service outsourcers uh, like HCL were very focused on the technology component of the, outs- uh, of, the, of the outsourcing. But now what you're describing is a much greater focus on customer outcomes. Maybe yeah, can- I think, I, think, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would suggest uh, two things here, right? Um, 
look, the one of the reasons why I believe HCL has enjoyed uh, the, the growth rates that we've been able to demonstrate is because we have a very strong engineering services and infrastructure services background. We have exceptionally strong technology skills. And I, I would not want to, to misguide anyone that I think those skills ultimately are key differentiators that allow us to help companies with their transformation. But in the spirit of change, and in the spirit of, of what customers are requiring, they're basically, as I said earlier, asking us, you know, look, I, I clearly need to run my business model more efficiently, but can you help me transform the customer experience? You know, we, we you know, invested heavily since we last spoke into what we call our beyond digital business unit. We hired over 100 people and we're now in a position to, to you know, select customers, help them with design thinking. We're, we're working on persona-based type of efforts and then ultimately connecting a front end, whether it's a, a, you know, a mobile environment, a web-based environment or other environments, connecting into the technology stack, into the applications and infrastructure, right? And so, uh, again, I think that the real winners in this marketplace will be the ones who, who can, on the one hand, articulate and understand the pressing business issues of their respective customers, but make no mistake, the underlying technology and the, the skills and expertise to do, to simplify, to also automate, to orchestrate, to, to bring your application and infrastructure environment together are still and will continue to be critical components because again, you know, keep in mind most of the Fortune 500 or even the Fortune 2000 are still traditional brick and mortar companies, right? We love, we love to speak about the Ubers and the Airbnbs and the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, right? Yes, they are, of course, they're the digitally born, they're the, the, you know, the, the, the new companies that we all aspire to be. But, you know, if you, if you have a 100-year-old company that's, that has a, an existing infrastructure, you will need to simplify your infrastructure. You will have to find ways to to further streamline, automate your uh, existing uh, technology stack while transforming your business into a digital uh, type of business model as well. So exciting times, and obviously will take some time for, you know, across various sectors. What does this all mean for the CIO and for IT? It's, it's such a turbulent time for for that group, and where where's where's the role of IT in this customer-centric world that you're describing? Look, I, you know, I'm the marketeer here. I, I sometimes think that the role of the CIO and the role of the CMO, in many ways, is actually quite interesting, and there are parallels, right? I think first and foremost, and I I I, I will choose to take a, a glasses half full kind of perspective here, right? So if you are the CIO of a bank or you're the CIO of, of a, a traditional brick and mortar company, you're probably confronted with, you know, the following two or three kind of issues. 
You have the core information technology, everything that has to do with information. You have your increasingly, you know, IT issues that have to do with customer facing applications. And then you still have your entire underlying existing infrastructure, which is basically your operational IT. And, and what you're going to be asked to do is you're going to be asked to do a few things. You have to, and this goes back to my earlier comment, how do you create an agile, but also a lean IT environment that on the one hand is flexible enough, right, to meet the demands of a 21st century enterprise. And what does that mean? Are you fast and quick enough to deploy new digital applications? Can you actually implement new services? But at the same time, are you lean enough and can you also use automation or uh, autonomics and orchestration to further simplify your IT that it's flexible enough and all of that at a cost point so that you can actually support the business at hand. So for those CIOs who are embracing this and who are saying, look, I have an opportunity. I am the expert in technology. I am actually going to help the CMO. I'm going to work with the, the head of sales to, gener to, to build an infrastructure that can achieve the, the things I just mentioned, while also at the same time ensuring that the existing infrastructure you know, continues to improve, run securely, but also you know, becomes scalable and, and increasingly uses autonomics and, and, and automation to further improve that. I think for those CIOs, this is going to be a tremendous opportunity moving forward. For others who may be more comfortable to, uh, to just run the existing infrastructure and, sure, and ensure that there are no major issues, I think in some of those organizations, we've seen you know, the, some new roles come into play. The chief digital officer, right, who very often uh, you know, acts as a, almost a, a peer to the CIO, sometimes reports directly you know, into the CEO or into the CMO. Right? I think it's contingent upon the specific industry and also uh, the uh, 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 you know, uh, specific organization and the history. But personally, I think the opportunities for CIOs are there to have a significant impact and to maybe most importantly demonstrate a direct impact on the business outcomes, maybe the growth agenda of the business. And therefore you can actually, as a CIO, move away from this notion of being in quotes, a cost center, which both you know, the IT department and marketing department occasionally uh, you know, have been, I wouldn't say accused, but uh, you know, sometimes if you're not careful, you can very easily be put in that bucket. How can a CIO who is listening to this and sees the opportunity, but is not necessarily sure how to traverse the gap between traditional IT, maintaining operational integrity of systems and so forth, and, and then make the leap to the kind of uh, business innovation activities that you were just describing? Yeah, I mean, you know, thank you for the question, Michael. I, you know, I think one of the elements, and I'm going to try to give you an industry perspective, and, and obviously I'm, I'm here representing HCL, right? 
I think one of the challenges uh, that, that we face in the IT industry in general and in, in others as well, this is a highly dynamic marketplace, new skill development, new skills required. And I think what you're going to find as a, as a CIO and possibly as a CMO as well is you're most likely not going to have access to all of those skills in-house. And, you know, part of what I think is, and this is why, again, I believe the services industry, which I don't know how many times over the last 15 to 20 years has been proclaimed as, you know, this is the end of the service industry, but it's still moving today and it's still growing quite significantly. I think the reason for that is that you have to decide at one point at, you know, how much of, of your IT your traditional IT or maybe your new apps development or, or of, of, you know, your, your digital processes. Uh, do you choose to, to maybe partner with a, a third party, maybe with a services company? And, and I think right therein, in fact, lies the value proposition that a, hopefully a company like ours can bring to, to bear and say, look, we're an expert in, in this specific area. We can help you with your infrastructure. If you'd like to move into the IoT space, which is you know smart things, smart devices that are connected, we have a tremendous amount of experience due to our engineering services. And I think in that context, uh, and again, I've had the, the pleasure to work with many CIOs lately, uh, Particularly, I think the U.S. is one of the most advanced markets with respect to services. But we see it also now very strongly in Europe where companies are realizing that, you know, I don't have to do everything on my own in my own shop. And I can actually uh, partner with companies to help on that journey. What about uh, changes that are taking place in marketing? You're, we, we've been discussing the technology and the impact on IT. You're a CMO of a very large organization. So how does all of this affect uh, the marketing operations? Yeah, I think, look, I think when I described earlier, you know, the notion of a 21st century enterprise, you know, experience-centric, outcome-based, agile, lean, eco, you know, ecosystem-centric, the notion of an empowered customer, which I'm a very strong believer in, I think is everywhere. And it, it, kind of changes the paradigm, I believe, just about for everyone in marketing, whether you're in the B2B or in the B2C space, right? What it means is that at any given point, a customer, when they eventually engage with you in, in, in the buying cycle, and you, you know, whether we look at the forest, the number, or there's a few others, chances are that that customer has already gone through a good portion of the buying cycle by simply you know, gathering information and having become very, very smart and intelligent on their own. And I think for us as marketeers, there's a few things that are super important. One, your brand, you know, your, your brand, your value proposition as to who you are, I think is magnified and even more important than ever before. And the reason is because all the different touch points where somebody will experience you gets amplified, magnified, right? Whether somebody finds you through a, a search where they'll interact with you uh, on a social media uh, chat or they have, you know, receive an electronic invoice or they actually end up calling a call center, 
where they actually interact with you in person through a salesperson. The key question remains, are you consistent in your experience? And then is your experience with the brand authentic with those who you interact with? And I think it fundamentally changes how we need to think about marketing. It also, in my view, puts a huge emphasis on finding the right balance between uh, clearly, and I always say, right, it's a saying that's been used quite a bit. We're, we're not talking about digital marketing. We're talking about mar marketing in a digital you know, world. And the notion here is you have to take advantage of the, the various platforms that are available to you but I would still suggest from an experience perspective, don't underestimate the face-to-face -face interaction as well, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's actually very, very exciting uh, time. And then the one thing, and I, I'm happy to go into some more details on you know, specifically uh, elements that, that can be deployed. But the other part that's not to be underestimated, the rate and pace of change, speed to market, the ability to try new things, the ability to, uh, I'm not a big fan of fail fast, but I do believe that you have to try. You have to have a culture of experimentation. You have to have a culture where you encourage your teams to try new things. And when they work, then you, you uh, scale them very quickly. When they do not work, you move away and, and you choose to, to, to try new things very important our cycles and you know you just have to take a look at the news cycle right the news cycle by itself is is turned upside down nowadays but as a marketeer you have to take all of those into consideration we have a question from sure. arsalan khan on twitter who asks does hcl take lessons that you learned on client engagements and apply them internally inside hcl and if so how do you do that Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, uh, and what was the name of the lady again? Sorry. Uh, it's a gentleman, Arsalan no. Khan. Oh, Arsalan Khan. So, uh, apologies, but so uh, I appreciate the question. Um, so uh, that's in fact what you just uh, mentioned is, is uh, in part uh, the design point of our customer advisory councils. So we, we run them at least once or twice a year per geography. We also occasionally run uh, customer advisory councils uh, where we bring our customers together in, in, you know, across geographies. And, and the whole design point is to, A, share with them where we're going directionally, but then most importantly, to listen. And, and you know, I can tell you from, again, having gone through that for two plus days, both in North America and Europe, you know, it's the customers speak, they tell us what's working, they tell us what's not working. It's at times uh, slightly uncomfortable, right? You feel a little bit like the emperor without any clothes. But the reason why we do this as a company is because we, um, we think it's very, it's, it's, it's of paramount importance to learn from our customers as to where and how we can improve. And you'd be surprised, that can be, that can be from, you know, how do we further improve our, uh, you know, client-facing interactions in a specific geography to um, some operational elements to, you know, other, uh, in, in some instances, you know, training-related efforts. 
But what we try to do as a company, we, we, we do them, we document them, we, we interact with our customers following up those. In fact, we actually, in many instances, continue the dialogue and then every six months we go back and, 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 uh, and use this as a vehicle to, to help become a better company. It, it may seem fairly trite in some ways, but I can tell you we take it very seriously and I, I truly appreciate the spirit of the question. Actually, it's, you know, it's funny. It's, to me, it doesn't seem trite at all, but it's one of those things. I, I spend a lot of time with enterprise software vendors as an analyst, and you know, my analyst peers provide advice and feedback to, to software companies, and I think that the listening aspect is particularly difficult. It's easy to uh, it's easy to sit down in a room with people to offer feedback, but incorporating that feedback and actually listening and learning from it is extremely difficult to do. Yeah, and we, you know, again, I uh, thank you for saying that, Michael. I, th- I think what we try to do is right. We we we're very proud of of the you know our customers. Who, who entrust us with a tremendous amount of their business. And so when we invite, you know, CXOs in this context, many, many instances it's CIOs, it's also CTOs, and sometimes head of supply chain, we take their comments very seriously. But what we also do in the spirit of a 21st century enterprise, right, we, 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 in, we invest quite some time and effort every year in, in a, a, an extensive uh, CSAT survey, uh, where we try to, you know, interview actually over 2,000 decision makers. Um, we also engage at various times of the year, in, in particularly in, in preparation for some of these interactions with our customers. And, uh, you know, what I would just suggest to everyone is, at the end of the day, um, as much as, 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 you know, one as a company may be on the right trajectory and, and may have a strong strategy and an ability to execute, um, having an open dialogue and, and listening at times to comments that are a little bit difficult to hear uh, actually shows at least the feedback we receive. You know, our customers really appreciate it. They're saying, look, you know, we appreciate that you're giving us a forum. It's always done by, you know, the Japan rules, right? It's there is it's completely confidential. None of the comments ever go anywhere, and um, it's it's actually one of the highlights I can personally tell you that I look forward to, you know, being in a room with fifteen to twenty customers to learn. We're almost out of time. We have about five minutes left. Matt, can you give us advice on how to be a good services client? So in other words, what advice do you have to clients to get the, the maximum value out of the relationship with a services provider such as HCL or, or any services provider? I think it's, it's very interesting, Michael. It's a great question because as we you know, start new relationships with customers, that question actually comes up more often. And, and one of the things that, that we actually tell all of our customers is, just please approach the relationship the same way we try to do it. Approach it open, approach it with a level of, you know, trust that we need to build with each other and be as transparent about what's working and not working. And, you know, what I can tell you is that just like with any relationship, 
you know, when you, when you help a, a company on their own transformation, the notion of openly resolving issues, you know, I mentioned this maybe earlier, but we've actually invested quite heavily lately in, in uh, what we call innovation labs across the world where, where we bring our customers together and then co-create and, and have dialogues together. So the best relationships are always those that I consider to be win-win for both parties. The only way you get to a win-win is when you're open, when you build a level of trust, when you, you know, feel comfortable to tell someone when something doesn't work. And, and we, we actually, you know, believe very strongly in that. So for anyone who's listening, who may be an HCL customer or may be contemplating to become one, you know, you can quote me on that and we'll appreciate, you know, the open dialogue. But that's not always so easy to do. So, so, so what advice then do you have for folks that are, are listening? How do you develop that kind of culture that is willing to be open, transparent? There, that's where a lot of companies have, have a great deal of difficulty. Yeah, I, I, I would suggest that, you know, and again, I, I'm just reflecting on, on a few of, of, of our recent uh, partnerships that, that we have entered with our customers. Uh, almost invariably, I will tell you, as, as, you know, we get to know each other through usually the RFP process. And then, you know, as, as there comes a, eventually a, a relationship starts with some form of, of a, you know, a, a contract. I will tell you, most of our customers who onboard and who work with us um, say some very positive things through the process of getting to know us. And what we do quite frequently as well is we invite them very early on to visit some of our technology centers in India. So quite frequently, we have, you know, we have many long-standing relationships. We invite people to come to India for a week or two, see firsthand where some of, of our technology locations are the same here in the US, right? We have delivery centers in Seattle, in Frisco, in Cary, North Carolina, in Rochester, uh, New York. And, and I think it's just something, you know, you have to build. We, we as a company believe in that. And, you know, the customers that, that I, we interact with give us very high marks. And, you know, kind of going back where we got started with respect to to culture, it's it's kind of ingrained in, in in who we are and, and and how we like to work with our customers. Fantastic. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. We've been talking with Matt Preshern, who is the chief marketing officer of HCL Technologies, a seven billion dollar services and outsourcing provider, and Matt is here talking with us despite having the flu. And so, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope my energy level was high enough, but I'm doing the best I can. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, you were great. And everybody, next Friday, we will be speaking with Quentin Clark, who is the chief business officer of SAP. He's a member of their executive board. So he's a real bigwig at SAP, and that's going to be a very interesting conversation. Thanks so much for watching. Episode number 165 of CXO Talk. We'll see you next time, and bye-bye.